Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Romans. We are in chapter number eight today. And so uh, if you will find your copy of God's Word and open it or uh, turn it on if it's an electronic one and uh, find the Romans chapter number eight today. And we're going to begin today in verse number 18. So if you have your copy of God's Word, do you have it? All right. And it's on the screen as well. So look with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin today with verse number 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning to gather with labor pains unto now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray, as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's so true and powerful and helpful to us today. Lord, you know all about us, the sufferings of this present day, the groanings deep in our heart. And Lord, you see this broken world and all of the pain and suffering. And yet you are at work, God working in ways we cannot always see, working for our good, working for our full redemption, working toward complete restoration. And, O oh, Father, how much more glorious will it be compared to these sufferings when all is done for your glory Lord, burdens and cares and concerns, you know them. 
You're acquainted with them. And you come alongside and you help us in them. Lord, we cast our burdens on you today. And in a congregation like this, we have many burdens. And we cast them on you today, knowing that you care for us. Father, fill our hearts with hope. We are waiting, waiting for you, trusting in you. Lord, when our faith is weak, strengthen us. Strengthen our faith. Father, today, you know all about us. There's not one thing hidden from your sight. Lord, you're mindful that we are but dust. God, we pray you do a work in us. Change us. Make us to look more like your son, Jesus. Lord, today, there are some discouraged, downcast, struggling with the darkness of despair, feeling the waves of hopelessness that want to overcome us. Lord, help us to lift up our eyes. Help us to look unto you. And Father, may you lift us out of despair and set our feet on the solid rock. Now, Father, if there might be one soul here today, and most likely there is, that has never come to know Jesus Christ personally and has never turned from sin and really trusted in Christ. I pray that God, by the power of your Spirit, you would awaken them and that today they might trust in him and be saved. Now, Father, encourage our hearts through your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world of suffering and heartache and pain and grief and loss and regret and sin. We live in a fallen and broken world. Does anybody have an amen about that? This week, horrific things happening in our world. All over the world, some make the news, some never make the news. In Ukraine, terrible bombing this week, churches destroyed, pastor killed this week, serving his people, delivering food to a family who lost everything. His family, refugees in another country, and while they're far away from him, losing his life serving his people. Deep grief in North Carolina. Five victims in a neighborhood by a cruel, crazed teenage gunman 
who turns his weapon on a 29-year-old man named Jesus Torres, 29 years old, former Marine who'd served our country. He was a part of the police department on his way to work in his plain clothes. He has a wife at home and a baby and his life killed. Nicole Connors, 52, just married five years, shot and killed in her home while her husband, a truck driver, was away at work and killed their dog as well. Susan Carnatz, 49, and her husband Tom, they had big plans for their life, big plans for retirement, big plans for their emptiness life, big plans to travel. He said, we had such big plans, but they're now all gone. Mary Marshall was 34 years old. She had kind of lost herself in a way. She began to work as a barista at Starbucks. And she decided that she did, doing that was so enjoyable that she wanted to go to culinary school. And she was, work, was doing her studies at a culinary school there in North Carolina and killed by this gunman. And finally, a boy named James Thompson, 16 years old and a junior at Knightsdale High School, preparing for homecoming weekend on the football team. And he was shot and killed by the crazed gunsman. And to make it worse, if it could be worse, he was killed by his own brother, Austin Thompson, 15 years old. Why, pastor, do you read all of this? Don't you hear the grieving? Don't you hear the suffering? Don't you feel it? It's ours. It's our world that's broken Amen. and sinful and destructive and the suffering, we feel it. Why such suffering? In the 17th verse before the first chapter, this chapter in chapter 8, in the second half of the verse, Paul says, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Suffering and glory are wedded in this existence. And we live in a world of suffering, but we anticipate a day of glory. And Paul said, when it's all said and done, the glory will far outweigh the suffering. Amen. Hallelujah. We have a Savior 
who is at work in our world and in our lives. In this passage, there are three different groans referred to. Let's look at them together. First of all, creation groans. So in the groaning, there's this groaning in creation. It says in the scripture in verse 19, creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Now, verse 22, notice. For we know the whole creation's been groaning together with labor pains unto now. You see, these are the groanings. This is the longing, the, the aching, and the hopeful expectancy mixed with it. He says creation is subjected to futility, meaning there's an emptiness in creation, a meaningless in creation. There's, there's been a fall that has happened that's affected all of creation. Now, if you, you, you say, Pastor, why such suffering? Why such groaning in all of the created order? Well, let's go back to the first book of the Bible to understand this, this, this gospel of redemption and hope of glory. For if you look with me to Genesis chapter number 1, in verse number 29, verse 28, God blessed them. He made this man and woman, male and female, in the image of God. And so there's one man, two genders, by the way, in verse 27, in case you're confused. Verse 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls in the earth. And God also said... I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains the seed, and that will be fruit for you, food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good indeed. This doesn't sound like futility, does it? But it says what happened. There was this fall that took place. And in Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 17, he said to the man, because you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Paradise has fallen. And now in this world, there's futility and decay and suffering. And the forces of nature even work against nature itself. 
the inanimate world and the animate world is all experiencing suffering. The world has been invaded by violence and fear. And this beautiful nature that we see is also deadly. It's a weird world we live in. Beautiful nature, like the seacoast, idyllic, peaceful, calm, serene, enjoyable. And all of a sudden, a terrible hurricane, floods, tornadoes, death and destruction. We live in a world with brightness and beauty and plant life, but there's blights and disease and droughts. In my backyard is a beautiful white oak tree. It is gorgeous. It brings me so much pleasure just to look at it. It's in my backyard. It's bordering between my house and my neighbor's house, providing great shade and is just an awesome old tree. But a disease is attacking it. Oak wilt is killing it. And it will not survive much longer. We live in a world that all of nature is diseased. Impacting us. And there's groaning even in nature. There's not only groaning in nature, there's groaning in the church among believers. Amen. Notice in verse number 23 of Romans chapter 8. He says, but not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as first fruits... We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble and tribulation. We suffer in this world also, don't we? The Apostle Paul knew about suffering. Verse number 18, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul knew about suffering. Paul experienced suffering in his own life. In 2 Corinthians, he describes some of the suffering and trials and difficulties Paul went through in his life. Do you have your Bible? I don't have all of these on the screen today, so... So you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. Look it up in your Bible. Now look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. He describes to the church at Corinth about his suffering in the cause of Christ in this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. 39 lashes at the hands of the Jews. How many times? Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Does that sound enjoyable to you? Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil 
and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, without clothing. Not to mention other things, the daily pressure on me and my concern for all the churches. Do you hear it? The groaning and the pain and the suffering. You know what this is like? In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. In verse number 1, we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent. You know this body that you live in right now? It is not meant to last forever. Amen. Can somebody say amen? You know what? He describes it as a tent. A tent is not a permanent dwelling. And he says, in this tent, we groan, desiring to put on what? A heavenly dwelling. That is a building built by God that will never be destroyed. We suffer in this world. We suffer trials. We suffer death. We suffer cancer. We suffer pain. We suffer arthritis. Oh boy, do we. We suffer divorce. We suffer hate. We suffer injustice. We suffer crimes against us. And we groan. And for what do we groan? Our adoption. Our full redemption. The glory of this new life God has for us. Anybody here ever groan? Oh, I've heard some of you groan. Some of you reach down to pick up your Bible, you groan. In this world we have groaning. But there's also the groan of the Spirit that is referred to in their passage. Look with me in chapter number 8. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Well, it's our groaning the Holy Spirit understands. And he interprets it for us. In verse number 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. He knows everything that we suffer and what we're going through. And when are we groan in our sorrows and when we groan in our burdens... The Holy Spirit who's been given to us as a first fruits offering, as he's been given to us as a down payment of the full redemption that we expect in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is with us and never leaves us nor abandons us. The Holy Spirit that comes alongside us and encourages us and lifts us up. The Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't even know how to pray. And our hearts are broke and we suffer. Isn't that glorious? Wow. 
We are not alone. He's with us. And he prays for you. And even when your prayers make no sense. This morning I was praying early and I just said, Oh God, I don't even have words to say for the burden I feel. And God said, but I know what you feel. Woo. It's the groaning for us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. With every cry, with every burden, with every tear, they're never lost. I've been through many, many tragedies in my years of caring for people. I've stood with you. I've sat beside you. I visited you. I've sat beside those dying with cancer, held their hands as they groaned. I've stood beside caskets with you Amen. when you groaned. The very first pastorate I was in, I was a kid, really. I was finishing college. The church was growing. People were being saved. People were being baptized. A coal miner that I led to Christ, he and his wife, Came to our church, three little girls. On the week of Christmas, they crossed a train track. Without, a, without a, inexplicably, there's no explanation to understand why they did it, but the woman went around the guardrails, thinking there was no train, but there was a train, and it hit their car. Rolled it over and over and over. Three little girls in the back seat. The mom was terrific. Head drama was helicoptered to St. Louis. I was called from a dinner I was having with my cousin. There had been a tragedy. And could I come to the hospital to identify two little girls that were dead? I identified both of the bodies. The husband, who was a shift worker, was home asleep, and someone woke him from his mobile home where they lived, and he came to the hospital, and I greeted him in the hallway. And the doctor said, would you take him into the room with the girls? I did. And that hulking, big, Man with hard working hands and calluses fell across their bodies, held their cheeks, and he was groaning. And on Christmas Eve, with his wife in intensive care and unconscious, Two of his little girls were put into the grave. And he wouldn't leave the cemetery. 
but laid across the grave, groaning. In this world we groan. But the Holy Spirit helps us. And the Holy Spirit strengthens us. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when Lazarus died, even though Christ raised him from the dead, when he saw their tears and the brokenness and the devastation of sin, it says he wept and he felt. Interesting story that's found in the 16th chapter of Genesis. It's often not preached about. I don't hear it much. It's the story of Hagar, and she is the concubine of Abraham. She is Sarah's servant. And when Sarah can't conceive, Sarah comes up with her own plan to give Hagar to Abraham in order to have relations with him that they might have a son. By the way, sometimes our plans aren't the best plans, it seems like. And Hagar indeed conceives, and whenever Sarah knows that Hagar's conceived, now there's bad blood between Hagar and Sarah. And Sarah is so mean to her that Hagar runs off. And she says, I can't stand this anymore. And she leaves. She's by a stream, by a brook, out in the middle of nowhere. Egyptian girl, just a girl. Her life seemingly ruined. And an angel of the Lord visits her. And he said, you're going to give birth to a son. And you're going to name him Ishmael. Which means God hears. And God has seen you and he will make him a mighty nation. And God has plans for you. You can go back home to Sarah. And she names that place El Royai, meaning God sees. He is the God who sees even me. I'm telling you, God sees and God hears you in your groaning. Not only groaning as we look into this passage of Scripture, but Waiting, waiting with hope, waiting with expectancy, waiting with faith. In verse number 17, he says, if we suffer, suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. We wait in our suffering. Verse 18, he says, the sufferings of this present not time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Now, it's the word eagerly waits. He says, in this world we're waiting. In this present time, we're waiting. In the midst of our sufferings, we are waiting. And we're waiting on God. In the middle, 
when the life is most difficult, we wait and we trust in him. This morning I was contemplating, thinking about this idea, and a, a psalm came to mind. It's the 39th psalm. David says, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days that I may know how short-lived I am. In fact, you've made my days like just inches long, a handbreadth. My life span is as nothing for you. Yes, every human being stands as a vapor. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions, not knowing who will get them. Lord, what weight I for. In the middle of all that this that makes no sense, what am I waiting for? And then he said, my hope is in you. To be eagerly waiting, the word that is used here by Paul in Romans means standing on your tiptoes, craning your neck, and you're waiting. You're looking forward with great expectancy. Amen. I'm telling you, my friends, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. And I'm waiting, aren't you? In the Gospel of Luke, he says, when you hear these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming. And he's coming for you and for me who have our faith in him. We also wait with perseverance. In verse number 25, it's not only do we expectantly wait, but we wait with patience and with perseverance. Verse 25 now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We are to watch and be alert. He says, you don't know the time of his coming. We've been given the first fruits of the Holy Spirit who works in us. First fruits are like the first part of the harvest. And when the very first part of the harvest starts, then you bring the offering of first fruits and you're looking forward to the full end gathering of the harvest. We've received the first fruits and the final harvest will be our adoption as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God and the redemption of our bodies. And it will be all new and glorious. Anybody looking forward to that? He said it's kind of like the labor pains. Now, ladies, men, you just don't say a word. Anybody ever experienced some labor in giving birth in your life? Raise your hand. I bet it's only men. All right, now listen. At the birth of that child, did you experience pain? And you might have thought, what in the world is happening to me? But when that baby comes, whoo, the pain becomes a memory in the past. 
always suffer in this world. But I'm telling you, there's coming a baby. And it will be glorious. Amen. Amen. I must hurry. First of all, then I want to, last of all, I want to talk about the glory. The glory is greater than the suffering. In verse 18, he says, I consider, I've thought, I've weighed the evidence, I've confidently concluded that the sufferings of this present time not worthy that could be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. When you weigh out sufferings and glory, the glory far greater than the suffering. They're light, momentary afflictions, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. Now, what will it be like? First of all, the universe will be transformed. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Not this old one patched up, but a brand new one made by God. The universe will be so transformed that all of nature and all of creation will act differently than we've ever known it to be. In Isaiah Chapter number 56, he says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and they let them rejoice in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable by my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. It will be glorious. It will be unbelievable. It will be better than we've ever, ever imagined. In the 11th chapter of Isaiah, He speaks of this glorious time under the Messiah. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down to the goat. And the calf and the young lion will be fattened. And the fattened calf will be together and the child will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze and their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle. And the infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hands in a snake's den. And they will not harm or destroy each other on my holy mountain. For the land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Does that sound like glory to you? We'll have a new bodies in that glory. Anybody glad we're getting a new body amen. in that glory? John, I heard that. Amen. Somebody's going to be dancing in heaven on new legs. In Philippians chapter 3, verse number 21, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. My friends, I'm getting a new body, not an old tent, but a new body. 
Not only that, there'll be no more suffering. In Revelation chapter 21, which we referenced just a moment ago, Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. There'll be no more separation between you and your loved ones. Verse number 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Can somebody say amen? Grieving, grief, crying, pain will be no more. Can somebody say amen? Previous things have passed away. Look, I am making everything new. Right? Because these words are faithful and true. It will be glorious, my friends. Just imagine with me. When we are in glory, when our bodies are changed, when he who began a good work in you brings it to full completion and we are adopted as sons and our bodies are redeemed and we're living in a brand new world, there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, no more cemeteries, no more cremations, no more divorce, no more lawsuits, no more racism, no more eyeglasses, praise God, no more unforgiveness, no canes, no cancer, Whoo! no pharmacies, no surgeries, no viruses, no hate, no politics. No lies, no dysfunction, no unforgiveness. It will be glorious. And it will be eternal. And it will far outweigh the suffering here. It will be revealed to us. It will be revealed in us. Wow. Wow. No longer any decay in this world, but we will be in the glorious freedom of sons. New bodies, full sonship, and it will be glorious. Don't you look forward to that day? C.S. Lewis said, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or a goddess. Dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot imagine. A bright, stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful. But that's what we're in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Hallelujah. Oh, that will be glory. When my labors and trials are o'er and I'm safe on that beautiful shore just to be near the Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory 
for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. My friends, we are destined for glory. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Father, as we come to this time of response, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It gives us hope and strength. Oh, Father, today, for one discouraged soul, I pray they might be encouraged that the sufferings that we are going through cannot compare to the glory that we are destined for. Father, may we wait in patience, wait in perseverance, wait in hope, Wait in faith, trusting you until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.